there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warmer, friendly of all, welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, we've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We are going to be joined by one of our good buddies, Andrew Cayley of Covers. We're going to be taking a look forward to the second half of the season, how he thinks the AL East race is going to be shaking out as he is someone that is north of the border out there in Canada. So we're going to be asking about the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays, who are going to be returning to Toronto as we found out today. So that is absolutely tremendous there. We're also going to be chatting with them about some of the games for Saturday, although I will caution you, a little bit of a murky board coming out of the All-Star break as it typically is the case. Teams have, I guess you could call it, floating rotation. So in the final segment, going to give you guys a side total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday and a little something I like to call touch them all. Just note that there is going to be some moving parts when it comes to some of these pitchers. So there is that going on. So did my best with that. And if you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren's one Keep in mind, letters ZM. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you into there. Only question I wound up having was, 
Why so many high-scoring games on Friday? So let's take a look back at everything that we did wind up seeing from Major League Baseball on Friday. Tried to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. We wound up having 15 games on Friday, and we wound up just seeing a whole bundle of overs as you wound up having just three games go under the total on Friday as it all got kicked off by the fact that the San Diego Padres scored 24 runs against the Washington Nationals, 24-8 to the final. Here, let me read off the home runs for you. Will Myers goes deep twice, 11th and 12th of the season. Tommy Pham was able to get his 10th home run season, triple shy of the cycle. You wind up having Jake Cronenworth get his 13th home run of the season, and Ore Mateo, a pinch hit home run, his second of the season. Cronenworth would wind up hitting for the cycle in this game, and Chris Paddock gets a win, giving up four runs in five innings. You wind up having Miguel Diaz give up four runs in an inning, including two homers. Nisbell Chris Matt was able to give you a scoreless inning, and then James Norwood was able to clean up the final two for the Padres. But how about this calamity for the Washington Nationals? Eric Fetty Wap. Got four outs as a starter. He gave up six runs, all of which were earned. From there, you wind up having three runs in a third of an inning, given up by Andres Machado. Paulo Espino winds up giving up three runs in two and a third innings. The lone guy to come in and not give up runs for the Washington Nationals, Ryan Harper. He got five outs without giving up a run. You wind up having Jeffrey Rodriguez give up five runs in two innings. And Wander, I swear this guy sucks. He now has an ERA north of five. He gives up six runs, three of which were earned in a third of an inning. And Sam Clay gives up a run in an inning. Good news is for the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto was able to continue the magic that he had from the home run derby. Two home runs, 12th and 13th of the season, and Gerardo Parra was able to get his second, but that was a wild one. The Blue Jays got off to a 10 to nothing lead, and they closed things out against the Texas Rangers by kind of 10 to 2. Jordan Lyles has been bad all year long, and he was especially bad in this one. He gives up four home runs in four innings, six runs in total. You wind up getting scoreless innings out of Brett Martin and Joe Barlow, and then you wind up having four runs in two innings given up by Dennis Santana for the Texas Rangers. Eli White was able to get a home run in the ninth off of Jacob Barnes, his fifth of the season, to make things more respectable, but Robbie Ray, all of a sudden looking like one of the best pitchers out there in the big leagues. He winds going six and two-thirds innings scoreless. The team has now won five out of his last six starts. Adam Simber was able to close out the seventh for the Blue Jays. Barnes winds up giving up a home run in the ninth, but Ryan Baruki able to give you a scoreless inning. And how about this for the Toronto Blue Jays. You wind up having Flagger or Jr. go deep, not once, but twice. 29th and 30th home runs of the season. Teoscar Hernandez is 12th. Marcus Simeon is 23rd. And Randall Gritchick is 17th. I'm thinking that there might have been something done with the ball in between the All-Star break because we wound up seeing balls just flying out left, right, and sideways. The Milwaukee Brewers were able to do the same. They wind up taking down the Cincinnati Reds by a count of 11-6. For the Brewers, they were able to put up a five spot in the eighth inning that allowed them to be able to get this WS. They wound up having a trio of home runs. Obviously, Garcia gets his 17th home run of the season. That comes off of Tyler Molly. Molly serves up the 15th home run of the season and 10th as a Brewer to Willie Adamas and Luis Urias winds up going deep off of Josh Osich is 13th home run of the season for Osich. He gives up four runs in two-thirds of an inning. His ERA went from right around a one to a four. That's how bad it was. Ryan Hendricks, he gives up a run in a third of an inning. Tony Santian, who was starting earlier in the year, he and Brad Brock give you a scoreless inning, but for Tyler Molly, he got Brock enrolled. He gives up five runs over the course of five and a third innings. Amir Garrett winds up giving up a run himself, and for the Cincinnati Reds, you were able to get a home run off the bat of Adi Cide Sakino, his fifth of the season, but no doubt a tough loss for the Reds, who had taken the last three against the Brewers to be able to climb within four games in the NL Central. They have now 
had a little bit more distance put between them. And for Brent Suter, by the way, he winds up getting his ninth win of the season for the Brewers. He has started one game. He winds up giving up one under run over the course of an inning to be able to get that W. Miguel Sanchez gives you two innings, gives up a run out of the bullpen. Jake Cousins, Brian Boxberger both give you a scoreless inning. And Adrian Hauser didn't necessarily have it, giving up four runs and four innings, but the Brewers able to get a much-needed W. The Philadelphia Phillies and Miami Marlins wind up splitting their double dip as the Phillies were able to get things done in game one by kind of five to two as in in game one, it was Sandy Alcantara who wound up getting lit up, giving up five runs, three of which were earned over the course of three innings. From there, you were able to get Zach Papa scoreless inning, and Stephen O'Kirk was able to give you two scoreless innings, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were able to go three of six with men in scoring position as Matt, give me some more. He was able to give you more. Nine strikeouts and four and a third innings, giving up two runs in the process. Archie Bradley gets five outs out of the bullpen to be able to get the W, and Ranger Suarez was able to give you a scoreless inning, but then the Marlins were able to flip the script in game two, getting a 7-0 win thanks to a pair of home runs. Sterling Marte of the Marte Parte was able to get his 7th home run the season and Aces Hagar his 16th as Ross Weiler was the opener for Jordan Allway who was able to give 5 scoreless settings, 6 punch outs for Allway, Detweiler scoreless setting of his own and Richard Blyer was able to close things out for the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Eflin was Eflin awful, gives up 6 runs, 5 of which were earned over the course of 3 and 2 thirds innings. This for a man that entered with a home ERA of a 2.25 this year. Aniel De Los Santos comes in, gets 4 outs, gives up a run out of the bullpen and then J.D. Hammer one of my favorite names, scoreless inning out of the bullpen, and Mauricio Lovera was able to give you a scoreless inning as well, but for the Miami Marlins, they have the best run differential out there in the NL East, and they are currently dead last. The team with the second best run differential is actually the Atlanta Braves. They lose in 10 innings to the Tampa Bay Rays by kind of 7-6. For the Rays, G-Man Choi was able to get a home run off of Charlie Morton for his fourth home run of the season, and though the Rays leave 14 men on base, they do get four hits with men in scoring position to be able to get the job done, as for Morton, he gets up three runs over the course of six innings, including that homer. A.J. Minter gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Luke Jackson was able to clean up the seventh inning, and then you wind up having Chris Martin give up a pair of runs in the eighth inning that caused extras as Will Smith was able to hold things down in the ninth, but Jesse Chavez gives up the unearned run with the man on second in the tenth inning, and for the Atlanta Braves, they do wind up getting a trio of home runs in this one. Dansby Swanson, 16th home run this season. Austin Riley is 15th, and Freddie Freeman, he winds up getting his 20th off of J.P. Fireisen, who comes in out of the bullpen. He winds up giving up a run in an inning, and for Michael Waka, it was our good old Waka 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 sort of start for him as I make the dying Pac-Man voice as he gives up four runs over the course of four innings. Drew Rasmussen gives up one run in two innings, but for the race, they're now 26 and 20 on the road thanks to Matt Wilson giving you two scoreless innings in the eighth and ninth inning, and Pete Fairbanks holding things down in the tenth and allowing a run for the race to be able to get the W out there. The Baltimore Royals, they still think of baseball. The Kansas City Royals, they've been bad all year long. They're currently last out there in the AL Central, but they get the job done 9-2 against the Baltimore Orioles as Keegan Aiken now is an ERA of an 819 and Baltimore starters over the last 125 innings. They have an ERA as a collective north of eight, which I didn't think was possible. Gives up six runs in three innings. Cesar Valdez, three scoreless innings in relief. That was a good sign, but Sean Anderson is clearly not an MLB pitcher. Gives up three runs over the course of two innings. Pedro Severino was able to get his fifth home run of the season as he winds up going deep off of Jake Brents. As for Danny Duffy, gives you four innings, gives up one run. You can tell that the Royals are trying to ease him back into things, and then from there, Josh Stamout, Greg Holland, Scott Barlow all give you scoreless innings out of the bullpen along Kyle Zimmer. Jake Brents winds up giving up that sole homer, but for the Baltimore Orioles, Things not going well for this team. You may recall they wound up losing 20 straight games on the road at one point. Things have not necessarily gotten better from there. I wound up having the under in my New York Post play of the day of the Giants and the St. Louis Cardinals. Thought Kevin Gosman was going to start. 
did not matter for the Giants. 7-2, they wind up taking down the St. Louis Cardinals as Logan Webb winds up getting the start as Goffman, it sounds like, had a family emergency. For Webb, he gives up one run over the course of four innings. Dominique Leon winds up giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning, but you had John Breba and Jarlon Garcia combined for a scoreless inning. You wind up having one and a third scoreless out of Jay Jackson, who I believe was pitching in Japan last year. You have Tyler Rogers, Zach Liddell, both give you a scoreless inning. And for the San Francisco Giants, it was a Mikey Stremski show. Four RBI off of a pair of homers, his 13th and 14th of the season. And Lamonte Wade was able to get a three-run shot of his own, his eighth of the season. As the St. Louis Cardinals do not get what they were looking for out of Adam Wainwright. Gives up a pair of homers, four runs in total over the course of six innings. You then from there wind up having two runs in a third of an inning given up by Lewis Garcia and DJ McFarlane. Winds up serving up one of those homers that Mikey Stremski gives up one run in two thirds of an inning. Got a pair of scoreless innings out of Justin Miller along with Junior Fernandez, but for the St. Louis Cardinals in games not played against the Arizona Diamondbacks, they have lost 21 out of their last 30, so things not going great there. The LA Dodgers have completely owned the Colorado Rockies. They are now 7-1 against the Rockies for the season. 10-4. They wind up taking down the Colorado Rockies as Julio Arias has played in his last 14 starts, 11 of them to the over, and I believe that there was a push in there as well, so only two unders. For Arias, he winds up giving up four runs in five and two-thirds innings, including Homer. Going deep for the Colorado Rockies was C.J. Chrome for a grand slam his 13th of the season, but lone form of brightness for the team has won. Chichi Gonzalez gives up seven runs over the course of four innings. It did not wind up getting better for Mr. Justin Lawrence, who gives up three runs in an inning. You did wind up having Ben Bowden and Lucas Gilbreth give you a scoreless inning and two scoreless innings out of Antonio De Los Santos, but a Colorado Rockies team that has actually been relatively good at home so far this year. They are now 31-18 and 18 at home. On the road, they're 9-34, and 34, so completely different splits there. They were unable to get to the bullpen as Phil Bickford, Garrett Clevenger, both give you two-thirds of an inning scoreless. You wind up from there having Jimmy Scherfe and Jay Reed both give you scoreless innings as well so they were able to get the job done in that environment as a team that wound up playing at home in Los Angeles. The Angels, they wind up losing to the Seattle Mariners by a count of 6-5, of five, who now have a negative 49 run differential despite being six games above 500. Pair of homers from the big boppers for the Seattle Mariners in this one. Kyle Seager, 17th homer on the season. Mitch Haniger is 21st as Dylan Bundy is now coming out of the bullpen and it's not going great for him. He gives up that home run in a third of an inning, climbing his ERA to a 6.78 for Andrew Heaney. Gives up four runs in four innings. You wind up getting five outs out of the bullpen from Andrew Wants. Good prospect for the Angels. Alex Claudio gives up a run in an inning. And Jose Quintana was able to give you two scoreless innings. But the Angels, they're having to turn a lot of these failed starters into relievers. And they're very high-priced ones. And they're not necessarily too terrific. Now, Max Sassy, he was terrific with his bat. He winds up getting his seventh home run the season off of Chris Flexen. But all Flexen would give up was that solo home run in seven innings. He now lowers his ERA to a 3.35. So he's come back from South Korea. And he's looked very good. Kendall Graveman. Comes in for two-thirds of an inning. He gives up three unearned runs in the ninth inning as he was hurt by a pair of errors by J.P. Crawford along Dylan Moore. Paul Sewell winds up being able to get the final out of the game and Anthony Machevich was able to give you an inning. He winds up giving up a run in the process, but for the Angels, now 45-45 and and they have not been able to figure out the... Seattle Mariners all year long. The Cubs, they were able to figure out the Diamondbacks as the Diamondbacks are now 11-54 and in their last 65 games. 5-1 to one the final for the Cubs. They had lost 10 straight road games as they wind up getting a trio of home runs in this one. Patrick Wisdom, 13th home run of the season. He's getting a home run every 9 at best. Anthony Rizzo is 11th. Jason Award is 6th. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they got Madison Gardner back and he looked solid. He gave up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of 6 innings. And then Matt Peacock, who was a starter, he was in the bullpen. Now he's back to being in the bullpen. He gives up three runs in an inning, including a pair of bombs. Jake Feria, 
former starter, is now in the bullpen as well. He goes to score, setting him line J.B. Bukakis, but for the Arizona Diamondbacks, 1-7 with Matt in scoring position as Kyle Hendricks picks up his NL leading 12th win as he gives up one run over the course of six innings. Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, Craig Kimbrell, they all come in. They all give you scoreless innings except for Chafin and Kimbrell. Both have sub-1-4 ERA, so these guys have been able to get it done. We wound up having a walk-off in Oakland as the A's were able to utilize a walk-off homer from Jed Lowry to be able to get a 5-4 to win for Lowry. That was his 11th homer on the season, and Mitch Moreland earlier in the game would go deep off of Eli Morgan. His 7th homer on the season as Eli Morgan has now given up a grand total of 9 homers to 5 walks in 26 and a third innings. He winds up going 5 innings, giving up 3 runs to lower his ERA to a 7.86 in this one. Phil Maton, Brian Shaw were both able to give you a scoreless signing along. James Karinczak, but Emmanuel Clays, who had been pretty lights out all year long, gives up that walk-off homer to Jed Lowry for the Cleveland Indians. Pair of home runs in this one. You wind up having Roberto Perez being able to get his 6th homer on the season. And the first homer on the season of Bradley Zimmeras for the Oakland A's, it was Sean who wound up giving up 3 runs over the course of 5 and a third innings in his start. Yasmeto Petit winds up giving up the other homer. He goes one and two-thirds innings, giving up a run. Jake Diekman and Sergio Romo, though, they were able to get things done in the eighth and ninth inning with a scoreless inning apiece. So they got the W in that one. The Houston Astros continue to be able to generate a whole bunch of offense. 7-1, they take down the Chicago White Sox as Lance McCullers Jr., who throughout his career has had a point and a half higher ERA on the road than he has at home. He's been very good on the road so far this year. 10 strikeouts, gives up one run in seven innings. From there, you wind up having Andre Scrub and Brian Ray who clean things up with a scoreless inning. And for the Houston Astros, just one home run in this one, and it's from the guy that's really been one of the focal points that hasn't necessarily gotten a lot of them, Michael Brantley, sixth home run this season as Dylan Cease was more like Dylan Cease and Deceased. Gives up three runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings, including that homer. Now, he was able to get ten strikeouts, but then from there, you wind up having Aaron Bummer come off the injury list, and boy, this was a bummer of an appearance. Gives up four runs in two-thirds of an inning. Cody Ewer, Jose Ruiz both give you a third of an inning, and it was the return of Rinaldo Lopez. He makes his first appearance of the year. Two scoreless settings for him, so that's a little bit of form of brightness for the White Sox, but if you're looking for a big form of brightness, it was all about the overs, although the one place that didn't have overs, that would be the New York teams, as the Mets, they wind up losing to the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 4-1. to There was a brawl that broke out in this game, and the Mets went 0-12 with men in scoring position as Marcus Stroman, not a great, not a terrible start, gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Bullpen from there would give up a pair of solo homers as Drew Smith and Jurisic Familia both do so, giving up a run in an inning. Miguel Castro was able to give you a scoreless inning, and for the Pittsburgh Pirates going deep for them. Wilmer Default, second home run of the season. That comes off of Drew Smith. And Mr. Familia gives one up to Brian Reynolds, his 17th home run of the season. And for Chad Cool, he's actually been one of the most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. If you bet $100 on every one of his starts, you're up right around $700. 100 run given up over the course of five innings. From there, you wind up having Austin Davis, David Bernard, Richard Rodriguez. I'll give you a scoreless inning. And Chris Stratton along Jason Shreve combined for a scoreless inning. And for the Yankees, they got completely shut out on this day. 4-0 to the final. The Boston Red Sox got a very very good start out of one. Eduardo Rodriguez, five and two-thirds innings scoreless. From there, you wind up having Tanner Hook come in, and he gives you a three scoreless innings. Howard Kazu, Howard Mura was able to give you an out of the bullpen as well. And J.D. Martinez, 19th home run of the season. That was big for the team. And Jordan Montgomery winds up serving one up to Christian Arroyo. His sixth home run of the season for Montgomery. Gives up three runs over the course of six innings. And then coming out of the bullpen, Justin Wilson serves up a home run in an inning. Domingo Herman came out of the bullpen and gave up nothing in his inning. And Aroldis Chapman was able to give you a scoreless inning. He's got an ERA north of 10, by the way, ever since the beginning of the month of June. So, Earl Chapman needs all the support that he can.
can get. But if you're looking overall for the season in Major League Baseball, I mentioned the fact that we wound up seeing a whole bunch of overs yesterday. I know that many people are asking why that was. I don't think it's necessarily the sticky stuff. I do think that perhaps Major League Baseball during the break wound up modifying the baseballs. And also keep in mind, it is very humid in the northeast part of the country. So there is that. But overall for the season, overs are taking a little bit of a lead over unders, 660 overs, 643 unders. Favorites for the season now sit at 796 and 551. That's a 59.1% win rate. Overall home teams winning at a 55% clip, 748 and 612. And if you're just looking over the last 30 days, favorites have gone 213 and 133. That is a 61.6% rate. Home teams 196 and 154. And really since the crackdown on foreign substances began, which is the last 30 days. Warren 70 overs, Warren 61 under, so 51.4% clip. So that's what we're all seeing in Major League Baseball right now, and that's what we wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Friday. Now let's take a look at the weekend. A little bit of a murky board, but our good friend Andrew Cayley is going to do his best to be able to uncover some winners for us. We're going to be taking a look at Saturday's games. We're going to be talking about those Blue Jays as well. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guest as he does absolutely terrific work over there with covers. Right now doing a tremendous job of taking a look at baseball, but I know that this is a man that is tied into the links as well. He is gauging everything that's happening at the Open Championship. This is a man that also does a great job of being able to take a look at all forms of football as I know that Andrew Cayley is doing a great job of previewing the college foosball season and you're able to follow Andrew on Twitter at covers underscore Cayley. That is C-A-L-E-Y on the last name. And Andrew, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me back. I'm really excited to talk some baseball. We had our little break there with the All-Star break, and now we can jump right back into some baseball betting. It seemed the betting landscape was a little barren there for a few days, so it's good to have it back. It is nice to have it back, but what is not nice is the fact that we've got a lot of, I guess the best word to call it is non-clarity when it comes to starting pitchers for a lot of the games this weekend. We saw it on Friday as well. There were like five, six different teams that wanted to making pitching changes. I believe that the Yankees and Red Sox made multiple pitching changes because, well, they wound up having the COVID-19 outbreak on Thursday, which caused that game to get postponed. So you've got a whole lot going on in that series. And how do you wind up trying to be able to navigate all these landmines? Because unlike so many of these other sports, you've got a sport in baseball in which so much is dependent on the starting pitcher. Meanwhile, if you wind up having a sport like college basketball, what have you, your bet would not be off the board if it's, say, LeBron James winding up going out with an injury. You're sort of stuck with what you've got in baseball. You're able to go pitcher-dependent when it comes to your bets. So that makes this so much more unique than pretty much any other sport that you can bet on. Yeah, TBD is the most popular pitcher on the board for Saturday. It's a tough thing to navigate. Like you said, these lines are almost solely based on the starting pitching matchup. People would like to say that casual baseball fans might not know this, that a guy like Juan Soto or Bryce Harper isn't going to move a line, like even as much as a guy like Patrick Corbin is. So you have to just do your best. Most teams have their rotations set at this point, even though they haven't given us this information. You can go back to the end of the first half of the season and kind of gauge which pitchers are doing the best. Uh, I know we're recording this on a Friday night, and the Blue Jays are actually starting Robbie Ray as opposed to Winjin Ryu because 
I think Ray has just been looking better right now and they want to start him off. And he, I guess he's the number one guy, which is just shocking to me. I can't believe I'm saying <laughs> Robbie Ray is the number one guy for the Blue Jays right now, but that's just the fact. So yeah, you can go back and evaluate rotations and how they did to start the season. You have to also go look at a bunch of injuries. Guys like Jacob deGrom didn't pitch in the All-Star game because of him looking for the second half of the season as opposed to pitching in that game. Garrett Cole didn't pitch in that game. So there's all these moving parts, injuries, past moments, and then just hit up Twitter and follow all the B reporters because the second those starting pitchers get announced, those lines will get posted. And I find that you're never going to find better value in baseball lines than when they are first posted. I agree with you. If you're able to jump on a pitching change right away, if you get tipped off, because I remember for Friday, Kevin Gosman wound up having a little bit of a family emergency. And you could see the line sort of cratering towards these St. Louis Cardinals. It's like, hmm, I don't think that a lot of money is piling up trying to fade Kevin Gosman here. He winds up getting scratched for Logan Webb. So that is something that you do want to be on the lookout for as we do have Andrew Cayley joining me on the podcast. And just taking a look forward to the second half in general. I did mention that this Yankees versus Red Sox game is a little bit of a calamity to say the least because we've just got a whole lot of moving parts. And I know that from a lot of people I've been talking to, both on this podcast and on the Vegas Hats and Information Network. They're expecting the Yankees to have a good second half. But I don't know about you, but I think that there's a better chance that the Yankees finish fourth in the AL East rather than in the top two. I just don't know why you think a run is going to be coming for the New York Yankees other than the name on the jersey says New York Yankees. I know that it sort of goes back to the theory of if you wind up having like star actor X, like, Tom Hanks, for example, if you see Tom Hanks in a movie, you've got to think that it's probably going to be pretty good. Just like when you see the name, the New York Yankees, you've got to think that that baseball game is pretty good. But just like Tom Hanks has had a couple clunkers throughout his career when it comes to movies, the Yankees are due for a couple clunker seasons as well. I just see it as the Yankees not being that good. Yeah, and you set me up perfectly for this one. It's Mission Impossible for the Yankees right now. I agree with you. I don't understand. I've been hearing a lot of that chatter as well. Like, prepare for this Yankees second half I just don't see any evidence to this point of them being a good baseball team Garrett Cole is the only reliable starting pitcher in that rotation the lineup while ranking in the top 10 in home runs I believe they're seventh in home runs they are still 24th in scoring so if they're not hitting long balls they are not scoring they're just very inconsistent at the plate right now and even the bullpen our oldest Chapman has an ERA over 12 since the start of June when the bullpen starts falling apart in New York you know things aren't going well right now I just don't have any faith in them at this point you can get some pretty good value on them if you want but if you want better value on a team to win the AL East right now I'm probably looking still at the Rays at plus money to give them still at about plus 150 to win the AL East I just I still think the Boston Red Sox great hitting that bullpen has surprisingly been outstanding one of the best bullpens in baseball but that starting rotation we started to see it leading into the all-star break those guys like Martin Perez Garrett Richards and Eduardo Rodriguez they all started to be those guys, you know, that we've expected them to be all their careers. They're expecting Chris Sale back at some point this season, but unless they make a big trade for an arm out there, uh, I like the Rays just the way they're built. They always seem to get that big hit, despite the fact they don't hit for a very good average. The pitching staff is, once again, very strong, despite now losing Glasnow and whoever they lose every year, it seems like, and they just plug in 
player X and they're still great. They're managed by, I think, the best manager in the big leagues in Kevin Cash. So I still think there's some value. And, and if you want so even more value with the Rays, I think you can get them as high as 16 to 1 to win the World Series still. So I, I don't hate that. The Tampa Bay Rays have shown time and time again to be able to do less with more. And at the trade deadline, it always feels like they pick up some guy that was completely forgotten about hitting at like the Mendoza line and wherever he was coming from before. And all of a sudden he becomes the second coming of Babe Ruth when he winds up going to the Tampa Bay Rays because that's what the Tampa Bay Rays do. As we do have Andrew Kaylee who covers your enemy on the podcast. And we were talking about the New York Yankees not necessarily being in great shape. Unfortunately, can't really dive into the game that is going to be going down on Saturday as we have no idea who's going to be pitching for them. They had no idea who was going to be going on Friday until like a few minutes before the game. So that makes things very interesting. But we do fortunately know this matchup. We know that Blake Sell is going to be going for the San Diego Padres on Saturday against Patrick Corbin of the Washington Nationals. And I think it's going to be so fascinating to take a look at Blake Snell the second half of the season, sticking with the Rays team, I guess you could say, because Snell at home, buck 65 ERA. He has been tremendous when he has been in San Diego. On the road, he's got a north of nine ERA. He's averaging less than four innings per start. His walks per nine rate on the road is 7.8. He has been absolutely terrible. Opponents are hitting north of 300 off of him on the road. At home, more like a buck 67. He's going up against a guy in Patrick Corbin that has been absolutely terrible all year long. I take a look at this total of nine, and many people would think that it's very high for a start between Corbin and Blake Snell, but I take a look at these two rosters. The Nationals actually have the best batting average out there in the National League. The Padres, I think that they're going to be getting more big hits moving forward. They've got a bunch of guys that are able to get on base. So even though it looks high at nine, I'm probably going to be taking a look at an over in this spot. That's not a bad bet. And actually, you're going to get the Washington Nationals as at least slight home underdogs in this matchup. And I don't hate that as well. Corbin pitched against the Padres in his last start, pitched six innings. He gave up seven hits. He gives up a lot of hits. That's what he does now. But he only gave up two earned runs. And the Padres, they still don't hit the greatest against left-handed pitching. I don't know if that's just been the way that the roster has has worked out so far this season. Aside from anything that Fernando Tatis Jr. does, of course, that guy's just awesome and he does everything for them. But they don't hit the greatest against that team and another point here over there these teams just played right before the all-star break all four games went over the total and it wasn't even close i believe they averaged 15 total runs per game in that stretch nine is a pretty good number there as well and mr camarena the relief pitcher winds up hitting a grand slam off of max scherzer (laughs) which is how you know that you've reached a baseball twilight zone as we do have andrew kaylee joining me on the podcast And Andrew, I did mention it a little bit earlier. We let off talking about it. Just the fact that we've got some murky pitching matchups right now, which makes taking a look at the Saturday card a little bit tough. But is there anything that's really standing out to you on this board? Because of the set pitching matchups that we have right now, the one that I find to be very fascinating is Brandon Woodruff against Luis Castillo in that Brewers versus Reds matchup. Right now, I'm seeing the Brewers as a very slight favorite. Only bet online currently has numbers up with the Brewers at a minus 110. But I think that this is a critical series for both of these teams because if the Reds wind up taking two out of three or if they wind up getting a sweep, as we don't know how game one wound up going in the series as we're recording this, that is absolutely massive for them trying to claw their way back in the NL Central. They probably become buyers. Meanwhile, the Brewers, if they're able to take two out of three or if they're able to get a sweep on the road, that allows them to have a stranglehold on this division. And then they go into the driver's seat as well. So I think that there are some big implications in this Brewers versus Reds game. I love that you brought up this game, Greg. Luis Castillo, This he was a guy, terrible first part of the season, and is who 
most people would consider the Reds' ace and just couldn't find the zone. He was really struggling. But in nine starts since May 29th, he hasn't given up more than three earned runs in a start. So he's starting to bring it together. He was looking like a guy who they might end up trading before the deadline at the end of the month now. And now they're making a push for the playoffs in that division title. So I love this matchup. Something I'm going to look at between him and Rudruff will be the under first five inning total in this matchup once it hits the board. I believe it'll probably be a low one, maybe three and a half, but I still like the under in that game. Woodruff has shown that he can take care of a strong lineup like the Reds and the Brewers. They don't hit very well. I really like the under first five in that one. If I'm able to get an eight in this game between Reds and Brewers with it being out there at Great American Ballpark, which as we know, a little bit of a bandbox ballpark, that would be something that I would absolutely love to be able to take under and something else I absolutely love, getting great guests on this podcast. And Andrew, you certainly fit the bill. Unfortunately for today's chat, we had a bunch of, I guess you could call it interesting scenarios when it comes to these pitching matchups, just because we don't necessarily have the world's greatest idea. This just happens every year after the All-Star break. These teams have no idea how they want to set up their rotations. But I know that you, day in and day out, do a great job of being able to keep people abreast of this on Twitter. I know that you've got your Bet flipping pick of the day when it comes to the beloved Blue Jays, which hopefully they're going to be playing in the great country of Canada towards seasons. And that's something that I'm sure everyone wants to see. And I know you're getting set for the college football season. I know that you're doing great work when it go when it comes to golf as well. So love the good people at home. Know how they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. You can follow me on Twitter at covers underscore Kaylee. That's C-A-L-E-Y. And yeah, you must have just missed it, Greg, because it just got tweeted out about 30 minutes before we went on this podcast. The Blue Jays are returning to Toronto on July 30th. So fans of Toronto can breathe a big sigh of relief and we can finally see Vladdy hit in front of those home fans. That'll be really exciting because Toronto has been known. Those 2015 and 16 teams had some really strong fan support. So it'll be exciting to see them actually get a chance to cheer for Vladdy as he makes an MVP run in the second half of the season. Lots of football prep coming up here. This is a bit of a downtime right now, but we're just getting ready for football and you can watch out for some college football previews coming for me as well. Conference previews coming pretty soon here. It's a calm before the storm when it comes to college football. Yes, sir. Week Zero is going to be here in a little bit over a month. That is going to be tremendous. NFL season is starting up in very early September. Now every team gets to play 17 regular season games. So note that if you're looking to fire in on some NFL season win totals, I think that a lot of people are sort of rolling their eyes, but There are some people out there that I'm sure are going to get tripped up by that. Yep. I mean, it's something where you're just so used to the 16-game schedule, and that's pretty much any sport. And then you wind up being like, oh, there's an extra game. So always (laughs) have to keep people abreast of that. And, Andrew, I know you do a great job of just being able to lend great information, doing a tremendous job looking at a wide variety of sports and it is much appreciated with all that you do there and andrew kind enough to join me on this podcast from time to time as well so big thanks to andrew kaylee of covers for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast and coming up next it is that time of the podcast i give you sign turtle on every game on the betting board for this saturday and a little something like call touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. 
Great to have Andrew Cayley on the podcast. Does a terrific job over there with coverage, doing a little bit of everything. He's very much tied into what's all happening at the Open Championship across the pond this weekend. Does a great job looking at college football. Does an amazing job on the diamond as well. Always great to be able to get him aboard. So, big thanks, Andrew, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday. And a little something you like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenSquirty1. I will caution you this as well. As of right now, the only place I'm seeing numbers up are at Bet Online. This is because you probably noticed on Friday we just had a whole lot of pitching changes. There was a whole lot of movement, so you've got that going on. It is very unfortunate. So if you notice that there are a lot of changes when you wake up in the morning, that is why it just is one of those things in which teams are trying to set their rotations for the second half of the year and they don't necessarily do the world's greatest prep work in the couple days off that they have after the All-Star break. They are much like a college student trying to scramble at the last minute to get their homework done. So there is that. So I do apologize in advance about that, but we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. That is actually game first on the American Leagues. Then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom, although the Twins versus Tigers double dip, that is going to be the last set of games that we are going to be hitting. We do begin with 951-952 on the betting board. The Philadelphia Phillies are going to be playing us the Miami Marlins. Zach Thompson is going to be going for the fish. Vince Velasquez is on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies minus 117 favorites plus 107 on the Miami Marlins. Total on this game is 9. Over is minus 115 and the under is minus 105. And I'm going to be taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. I want to make them more around a minus 123 favorite. With Vince Velasquez, he certainly hasn't necessarily been the world's greatest starter. And I will say this. For Zach Thompson, he has gotten off to a very nice start to his career, but the thing with Zach Thompson is, it is a very small sample size, so I don't know if it's necessarily enough for me to buy into it as of right now, because with Thompson, 2-2 record, 2-25 ERA, 24 career innings, 7 walks, 1 home run, giving up 31 strikeouts. Very good numbers, but once again, it's one of those things in which I want to see a little bit more before I wind up getting a little bit more invested in him. Meanwhile, with Vince Velasquez, this is someone that, at home so far this year, he's got right around a 450 ERA, a 617 ERA when he's been on the road, has given up not necessarily a ton of hard contact when he's been in Philadelphia as well. Four homers in 37 and a third innings, and this is a Philly team that, in general, has just been better at home. Going into game two of their double dip against the Miami Marlins yesterday, 25 and 16 was their home record. 20 and 28 is their road record. And for the Miami Marlins, actually a team with the second best run differential out there in the National League. Problem is, they just don't have a lot of guys that are coming up with clutch hits for them. Jesus Aguiar, along to Adam Duvall. These guys have been very good for the team. Aguiar, north of 50 RBI. Adam Duvall, 19 homers, north of 60 RBI. With Duvall, he's only hitting about a 230. But with Aguiar, he's hitting about a 265 along with Miguel Rojas. Sterling Marte of the Marte Parte is hitting in that pocket of about a 275, more like a 380 on base, so he's been solving Gary Cooper, selling at 290. Power numbers have been down a little bit this year, but he's been able to do a good job. Jazz Shizlam has been able to get on base, but guys like Corey Alfaro, John Birdie, you've got a couple other guys like Amante Harrison that they need to pick it up with the bat, and for the Philadelphia Phillies, you now have Gene Segura and Didi Gregorius back and fold. Gregorius has not necessarily been able to hit for a great average. You've got quite a few guys on this Philadelphia Phillies team that aren't hitting for a great average. I think we'll pick it up. Reese Hoskins, D.D. Gregorius, Andrew McCutcheon in between a 224 and a 235. But for Hoskins, he does have 20-plus homers so far this year. Andrew McCutcheon, is on base is more than 100 points higher than his batting average. He's been able to pound out 15 homers. For Bryce Harper,
Harper. Big issue for them is that all but one of his 15 homers so far this year have been solo home runs. I think that he's going to be able to pick it up with that regard. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, bullpen has not necessarily been too terrific. Ranger Suarez and Archie Bradley wound up getting used up in game one of their doubleheader yesterday, so they might not be in the fold. And for the Miami Marlins, this is a team that they do have a solid bullpen. Yimi Garcia, Dylan Floro, these guys have been able to give you some good innings. Anthony Bender has a sub-2 ERA. You've been able to get some good innings out of Jordan Hallway when you needed him as well, but I do take a look at Zach Thompson just being a little bit younger and with the Philadelphia Phillies being dominant at home, I'm going to be looking at the Phillies in this spot and with this total, I did wind up setting at 8.7, so even though these teams have had their woes a little bit on offense so far this year, this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the under and I'm going to be taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board, the San Diego Padres hit the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Blake Snell is going to be going for the pods and this is going to be a part of the New York Post later today as Patrick Corbin going to be on the bump for the Washington Nationals. Minus 120 is what I'm seeing on the Padres. Plus 110 is the price on the Nats. Nine is your total. Over is minus 125. The under is plus 105. This is a spot in which I'm looking at the New York Post play the day of being an over. As long as this total is less than 10 and if this thing winds up shooting up to 10, it has been a massive line move. Then I'm going to be taking a look at it because with Blake Snell, I was mentioning it with our good buddy Andrew Cayley, his home and road splits, sub-2 ERA at home. He has been absolutely amazing with that regard. On the road, 7.8 walks per game, 909 ERA. He has not been able to fulfill more than four innings in pretty much any of his road starts so far this year. He's given up at least three runs in all but one of his road starts so far this year. So he has certainly been lackadaisical there. And then you take a look at Patrick Corbin, a guy that has given up at least three runs in eight out of his last 11 starts. It has not been a good run of it for him either. And he has been giving up the deep ball quite a bit. For Patrick Corbin, he's allowing right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings. Three walks per nine, not great, not terrible. And then you take a look at the Washington Nationals. Even though they don't necessarily drive in the world's greatest amount of runs. They do have the best batting average out there in the National League. LCD's Escobar has actually been relatively solid for this team. He, Josh Harrison, Jody Mercer along with Juan Soto, only between a 270 and a 285 entering into yesterday's game with Soto with an on-base percentage north of a 400. Now, Kyle Schwarber being on the fold is big for the team. You wound up having 18 of the team's 40 home runs in the month of June, but you have been able to get a little bit of something more out of the catcher spot when Rene Rivera has been out there, and you've got Victor Robles right around 325 on base. Meanwhile, you take a look at the San Diego Padres. All of their position players that wound up starting yesterday entered into the game with at least a 317 on base. That is absolutely tremendous for this team. You don't really don't have anyone inning above a 285 for this team. That's Fernando Tatis Jr. He's been able to give the team over 20 stolen bases, 25 plus homers. He has been amazing. But you've got a bunch of guys in between about a 265 and a 275. Eric Osmer, Manny Machado, Trent Grisham, Jake Cronenworth. These guys have all been able to come through. So you've just got balanced production for the Padres. With the Padres, you do have the best bullpen out there in the big leagues when it comes to ERA. Guys like Austin Adams, Pierce Johnson, Tim Hill, they've been able to do their job when called upon Mark Melanson, leading the league in saves. And I will say this for the Washington Nationals, the bullpen has been improved for this team this year. Bringing in Kyle Finnegan and Brad Hand has been exactly what they've needed. Ryan Harper has been able to give you a couple good innings, but when you take a look at this spot, you also do have the Washington Nationals having on their roster. Wonder, I swear, oh, this guy sucks, and I think that he's going to get shelled in the second half. Sam Clay is right around a 5 ERA. I think that both of these starters are going to get absolutely destroyed, so I take a look at this spot. Wound up saying the Padres as a minus-132 favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at that, and as long as they're getting something in single digits, so anything below a 10, 
I'm going to be taking a look at an over, which is the New York Post play today. So, going with that New York Post play today over along with the Padres. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing against the New York Metropolitans. Tyler McGill is going to be going for the Metropolitans. Will Crow is going to be on the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mets are finding themselves as minus 171 favorites, plus 157 on the Pittsburgh Pirates. 8.5 is your total. Over is at minus 125, and the under is plus 105. When I take a look at Will Crow, I see a guy that has not been pitching very well, to say the least. It has been a rough go of it for him, and with the Pittsburgh Pirates, what you do like about this team is that they're actually going to back him up with a relatively decent bullpen. Chris Dryden is able to give you multiple innings. He's got a sub-3 ERA this year. Richard Rodriguez, Jason Shreve, Kyle Crick. These guys have been solid other than Crick, who last couple weeks has not necessarily been going too tremendously for him, but when you take a look at Will Crow, he's got a 6.05 ERA, a 1-5 record. This is someone that has not really completed more than five innings all year long. He's given up at least two runs in every one of his starts. He's given up a combined five homers in his last four starts. Walks have been an issue for him. He has issued 27 pre-passes in 55 innings. And then you take a look at McGill, and he's been relatively good for the New York Mets. He winds up getting the call, wound up going to college at Loyola Marymount, and so far so good for him. He's got an ERA hovering right around 350. Four starts, 18 total innings. The long balls hurt him a little bit. Three home runs given up in 18 innings. He's also walked nine, but he's also got 26 strikeouts. So a little bit over 11 strikeouts per nine innings. He's backed up by a very good bullpen. Seth Lugo, since coming off the injured list, has been good for the team. They've now got Jurisic Familia back in the pen as well. Trevor May has had his ups and downs, but Aaron Loop has been able to give you some good innings as well. You've got a pair of offenses that are in the bottom five of the big leagues as well. With the Pittsburgh Pirates, you do have two guys that do a great job of getting on base, and we're actually all starters. Adam Frazier along with Brian Reynolds. Both of these guys hitting above a 300. Both of these guys north of a 380 on base. And for Reynolds, he entered into yesterday with 16 homers. You really don't have anyone else giving this team a lot of hard contact. John Nagowski is actually hitting above a 300. Ben Gamble wound up getting hot towards the end of June into early July. He has cooled down a little bit. He's now hitting at 240. But you've got Jacob Stallings, Kevin Newman, Eric Gonzalez, Gregory Polanco, Kaye Tom. Bunch of guys hitting below a 230 for the team and for the Mets. They are starting to finally get healthy. Michael Conforto is back out there on the field, hitting right around at 200, but you know that that's going to be rising a little bit. Francisco Lindor seemed to be figuring some things out prior to the All-Star break, only in about a 230, but I think that that's going to rise along Jonathan VR's 235. He's actually starting to walk, which is good. And then you've got Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, Dom Smith, in between a 250 and a 260. Would not be surprised if Pete Alonso winds up building off of what he was able to do in the home run derby because he's partaken in it now twice and won it twice that he's going to be able to take off, have a nice back half of the season. James McCann, after a rough start to the year, he's been able to give you a little bit of something as well. I do take a look at this spot, and with the 8.5, I think it's fascinating because you've got a Pittsburgh Pirates team that's running out there, a really poopy starter, but you've got two anemic offenses as well. I wound up saying the sole 8.3 personally, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I wound up saying the Mets minus 174 on the money line. On the run line, I'm willing to lay a little bit of a price. Right now at Bet Online, we do not have run line prices, but if I'm getting something like a minus 105, probably even a minus 110, probably would be entertaining that, looking to reduce the juice, but in some form or fashion, going to be taking a look at the Mets and this little under. 957, 958 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be in the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Luis Castillo, getting the start for them. Brandon Woodruff is going to be going for the Brewers. Luis Castillo is going to be on the bump for the Reds. Brewers are finding themselves at minus 110. 
even money is what you are getting on the Cincinnati Reds, and 7.5 is your total over and under are both at minus 110. Intriguing spot, because I wound up saying this all at 7.8. I'm hoping that we wind up seeing an 8 spring up, because I would like to be able to take that under, but I do think that we went a little bit too low with this total. I think that Brandon Woodruff is an amazing pitcher, but I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression towards the second half of the season. We wound up seeing that a little bit late in the first half of the season, as he wound up giving up 4-plus runs in 2 out of the team's last 4 starts. Now, his last start against the Reds, he got a little bit lucky in my opinion. Wound up giving up one run in six innings, but he wound up giving up a season high nine hits in that as well. And then you take a look at Luis Castillo. He was getting unlucky at the beginning of the year, which is why he's currently got a 3-10 record, but this is a gentleman that has given up two earned runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. He has always been a little bit better at home than he has been on the road. This year, he's actually got a little bit of a higher ERA at home, but that's just because he wound up getting out to a bad start at home. He has given up just three home runs in 48 and two-thirds innings. Now, the walks per nine, that is certainly an issue. He's given up right around four walks per nine innings, but you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds and what they're able to back him up with when it comes to the lineup. It is very tremendous. You've got Jonathan India with right around a four-hour on base. A pair of guys are Jesse Winker and Nick Cassianos. Hitting above a three-hour pair of guys with at least 18 homers and Eugenio Suarez is able to give you 18 homers despite the fact that he's hitting just a buck 75. Tucker Barnard along Trevor Stevenson. A pair of catchers are hitting above a 260 for this team as well. Taylor Naquin has a double-digit amount of homers. Joey Votto after a rough start to the year and a stint on the injured list. He's now got 11 homers. He's now hitting right around at 260. He's been able to get things going. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a bottom five team when it comes to batting average. Good news is they've got now got Colton Wong on the injured list. That is going to be able to help them out. He's hitting about a 290. Christian Yelich, the fact that he still suck on five home runs, that is just not good for the team. William Adams, ever since he's come in for the Brewers, hitting about a 285 with nine homers in that limited time span. That has been nice. You've got Avi Sale Garcia along Jace Peterson hitting about a 255 for the team. Omir Narvaez hitting a 300 and for the Brewers. They certainly have a big advantage when it comes to the bullpen. You've got Josh Hader and Devin Williams, but on top of that, Hunter Strickland has been able to do a very good job coming out of the pen. Brad Box Berger has been able to refine some goodness with him and with the Reds. This is a bullpen I don't have a lot of faith in. Brad Brock has actually been able to do a very good job along with Josh Osich, but Sionel Perez is a guy that has right around a 720 ERA. Ethan Embry is someone that I don't want to be sticking my chips in the middle with. You've got Sean Doolittle doing very little for you with Nareth of a 4 ERA. TJ Antone currently on the injured list, so I do take a look at this spot. I do think that the Brewers should be quite a bit of a favorite in this spot. I wound up setting them more on a minus 144, and I wound up setting this total at 7.8, so at these bet online numbers, I'll be taking a look at the over and the Brewers, but once again, probably going to be trying to take a look at an 8 to try to take that under. 959-960 on the banking board. The San Francisco Giants are throwing face-off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Kwon Young-Kim is going to be going for the cards. Anthony Scalfani is going to be on the bump for the Giants. Minus 113 is what you're finding on the Giants. Plus 103 is your price on the Cardinals. 7.5 is your total. Over and under are both at minus 110 for Kwon Young-Kim. It has been a little bit of an interesting year for him because he has been banged up. You can tell that the command was not there for him, and that was big because with Kwon Young Kim, he is a guy that very much focuses on command. He's someone that comes over from South Korea and... If you know the game over there in the KBO MPB, it's all about just not walking guys in general. 25 walks in 71 and a third innings. Just uncharacteristic for him, but now he's had two walks or fewer in four out of his last five starts, and as a result, he has given up one run or fewer in four out of his last five. The team has won each out of his last three starts, so he has been able to cook it with some gas, but then you take a look at Anthony D. Scalfani, and he has been nothing short of amazing on the road so far this year for the Giants. A 10-game winner already, but you take a look at his 
road numbers. 214 ERA, 5-2 record across 11 starts. He has given up 8 homers and 68 in the third inning, so a little bit over a home run per 9 innings, but opponents are a buck 85 off of him. And you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals in the month of June. They were a bottom 5 offense in pretty much every metric. Now, you do have a lot of guys for the St. Louis Cardinals that they've got very similar batting averages as you've got Dylan Carlson, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Yadier Molina, Tommy Edmond. All in between a 255 and a 265 in the case of Goldschmidt, Arenado, you're able to throw in there Paul DeYoung and Tyler O'Neill as well as hitting at 275. All these guys have between 12 and 17 home runs, but it has been a little bit of a slog for this offense. Meanwhile, you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. You've got quite a few guys hitting in the pocket of about a 245 and a 265. Donovan Solano, Lamonte Wade, Wilmer Flores, Brandon Crawford, who is actually hitting much above that. Brandon Crawford also with 18 home runs. He's been able to do a nice job so far this year, but if you've got a couple other guys like in Austin Dickerson, like in Mike Ustremski, that they don't necessarily have great batting averages. Both of these guys even below a 235, but their on-base percentage is right around 100 points higher. And for the San Francisco Giants, they've got a top six bullpen when it comes to ERA. Guys like a Dominique Leon have been able to come in and do a very good job. Zach Liddell is someone I do like. They are signing Jay Jackson who was actually pitching for the Brewers a few years ago. I believe that he spent a year out there in Japan as well. So they're going to kick the tires on MKL Barger. Coming off the injured list is big. He's got right around a 0.50 ERA and for the Cardinals. They don't necessarily have a stockpile bullpen, but they've got a couple guys here you're able to trust in. Giovanni Gallegos, Genesis Cabrera are both guys that have a sub-3 ERA. You've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Alex Reyes as well, who has been able to perform very well for this team. Ryan Ellis not necessarily a guy that I have a lot of faith in, but I take a look at this spot. I do think that the San Francisco Giants just continue to get disrespected. I felt like they should have been a bit more of a sizable favor. I wound up setting them as a minus 140 in this spot, and I also set this hold at 7.9. So we're taking the over, and we're taking the Giants. 961-962 on the betting board. You've got the Chicago Cubs going up against the automatic loss of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean automatic loss for Arizona, not the Chicago Cubs. Right now, we've got no numbers up on this game because the Arizona Diamondbacks have absolutely no idea what they're doing, and they have no idea who's going to start this game. Admir Alzale, meanwhile, is going to be going for the Cubs. If I go with anything other than a Cubs run line in and over, it should come as a shock to you because the Arizona Diamondbacks entered into the All-Star break 11-53 and in their last 64 games, and they have no idea what they're doing with their pitching rotation. So many guys that began the year in the bullpen went from the bullpen to being a starter to going back into the bullpen to being a starter. They're probably going back into the bullpen because this team just loves to wreck arms, and that's exactly what they're doing right now. Meanwhile, you take a look at Airbearer Alzale. He has not necessarily had the world's greatest year, especially on the road. 5-06 ERA when he's been away from his friendly confines. 1-6 record in those seven starts. Nine homers given up in 37 and a third innings. Got completely tattooed on Sunday Night Baseball a few weeks ago against the LA Dodgers, but the good news is, this is a Cubs team in which they do back him up with some power. Jack Peterson is no longer in the fold, but Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, Javi Baez, Patrick Wisdom. All have at least 10 home runs for the team, and for Wisdom, he's getting a home run less than every 10 at bat, so he has been able to do a great job for this team. He and Chris Bryant both hitting in the pocket of about 270, and a lot of guys hitting between, I would say, about a 235 and a 250 for this team. Anthony Rizzo, Wilson Contreras, Baez, Jake Marizic, all in that fold. And for a lot of these guys, they've got an on-base percentage that's right around 100 points higher than their batting average. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Eduardo Escobar is 20 home runs so far this year, hitting about a 255. Joshua Ross is hitting a 255 with 10 homers. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of a few of these guys in David Peralta, Paven Smith, Cole Calhoun, hitting between a 250 and a 260. 
270, but other than Rojas and Escobar, you don't have a single other player on this roster that is currently active, hitting for more than seven homers, and you take a look at the Diamondbacks, they've just got a future bullpen. Over the last three days, it is a north of six bullpen ERA. These guys have been terrible. Matt Peacock, I don't know whether he's a starter or a reliever, but he sucks at both. No Ramirez is just giving up runs of plenty. Joaquin Soria is clearly washed up, north of a four ERA with him. Brett Geis has an ERA of a 7.29, and for the Chicago Cubs, bullpen has actually been one of their best attributes. Going into the All-Star break, it was starting to fail them a little bit, but Andrew Chafin has been able to give you some good innings. Craig Kimbrell, sub-1 ERA, Ryan Tapera has been able to come in. He's been able to hold down the fourth. This is a spot in which we currently don't have numbers, but if I'm on anything other than an over as long as it's in single digits and it comes run line, be very surprised. 963-964 on the bank board. The LA Dodgers are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. It was looking like one Chichi Gonzalez going for the Rockies. He wound up taking the place of Antonio Sensatella, so right now we've got a to-be-determined starter. Meanwhile, Walker Buehler is going to be going for the LA Dodgers. When it was Buehler versus Gonzalez, we were finding the Dodgers at minus 230, plus 208 on the Rockies with an 11.5 total with the Juice at minus 110 both ways. When it was supposed to be Chichi Gonzalez against Walker Buehler, I wound up saying the Dodgers as a minus 214 favorite with them on the run line at minus 144. I wound up saying the Soto at 11.3. So it is going to depend a lot on who winds up starting for the Colorado Rockies, but I'm probably going to be taking a look at a run line play of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now I will say this. The Colorado Rockies are not an automatic fade at home. Do not think of it that way because with the Colorado Rockies, they are absolutely terrible on the road. They've got nine road wins so far this year. That is by far the fewest out there in Major League Baseball. But going into yesterday, 31-17 at home. Now, the Dodgers are just flat out good. They have owned the Colorado Rockies for many, many years. They've got just a stockpile lineup in general of guys that are able to get on base for you. You take a look at what the LA Dodgers wound up trotting out there yesterday. I believe that everyone except for A.J. Pollock and Gavin Lux had north of a 300 on base for this team. And here are all the guys that entered with at least 10 homers. Will Smith, Chris Taylor, A.J. Pollock, along Justin Turner down for what? Max Muncy and Mookie Betts. That is an absolutely loaded lineup right there, ladies and gentlemen. And for the Colorado Rockies, this team is dead last when it comes to row batting average. They are number one when it comes to home batting average. As a collective going into yesterday, hitting about a 280 as a collective. Trevor Story has been able to find a little bit of something. He's hitting about a 250 overall with 11 homers. Ryan McMahon has been able to hit 16 bombs. A lot of these guys like Ryan McMahon, CJ Crone. I mentioned Story a little bit earlier. Brendan Rodgers. These guys are in between about a 250 and a 260 overall for the year. But at home, these guys are hitting north of a 300. Jonathan Daza has been absolutely amazing for the team. And for the Colorado Rockies, bullpen has actually been better at home than they have been on the road. You typically don't find that, but guys like Daniel Bard, Carlos Estevez, Justin Lawrence have been able to give you some good innings. And for the Dodgers, you've got to figure that they are going to be able to get some good length out of Walker Beeler. He has won at least six innings at all but one of his starts so far this year. He's backed up by some guys that are relatively solid. Joe Kelly is able to give you some good innings. Jimmy Scherfe is someone that they picked up from the Giants that I actually liked him with the Giants. Like, Trine is able to give you some good innings as well. Very widely veteran. And Kenley Jansen. I know that a lot of people don't want to hear this, but he had 21 saves with a buck 24 ERA in the first half of the season. He has looked very good, so this is a spot in which I'm probably going to be looking at a Dodgers run line. It all depends on who winds up starting for the Colorado Rockies, whether I go over or under. When it was Gonzalez versus Walker Buehler, I was looking a little bit at an under, but it was a relatively close call there. If it winds up being just 
some guy we've never heard of for the Colorado Rockies, probably going to be looking at an over. If we get someone a little bit more reliable, might be looking at an under. 965-966 on the betting board. You got the Toronto A.K. Buffalo Blue Jays, and they're going to be playing also the Walker Texas Rangers. Kobe Allard is going to be going for the Rangers. Hunjin Ryu is going to be going for the Blue Jays. Minus 235 is your price on the Jays. Meanwhile, you're getting a plus 212 with the Rangers. 9.5 is your total. Under is minus 115. And the over is minus 105 with Kobe Allard. It has been a actually just tough year for him in general because he's actually pitched halfway decent. He has just gotten no support whatsoever for Kobe Allard. 2-6 record despite a 369 ERA. He's been tattooed a little bit, giving up 11 homers in 63 in the third innings, but he's given up fewer than two walks per nine innings. He's been efficient with his pitches. He's actually been able to give the Texas Rangers some good, solid starts. They just haven't been able to pull through from. In his last five starts, the Texas Rangers have scored three runs or fewer of support for him in all five of them. If you're looking at his last four, they have scored more than one run in just one of them. So, I mean, it's one of those situations in which what is a guy supposed to do? Meanwhile, you dig a look at Unjin Ryu, in five record, 356 ERA. Despite the fact that the team has went back and forth from Dunedin, Florida to Buffalo, New York, which is what you always expect from a team by the name of the Toronto Blue Jays, but with that said, he's had an ERA hovering right around 4 whenever he's been at home so far this year. Opponents are hearing about a 259 off of him, so he's been able to do his part for the Blue Jays. They have been dealing with quite a few injuries to the bullpen, but they have been able to restock it a little bit. Adam Simber is a guy that they wound up training for. Ryan Baruki has just come off the injured list for them. Trevor Richards is someone that they're going to be looking to for innings. Tyler Sacito has a sub-2 ERA as well, so he's been a nice find. And then you take a look at the Blue Jays. They've got one of the most fearsome lineups out there in the big leagues. I think that this is a team that can ascend towards the second half of the season especially if you get a little bit of consistency. Daz Hernandez is hitting right around 300. George Springer has not necessarily gotten going but he wound up spending much of the first half of the season on the injured list. Bo Bichette along with Marcus Simeon. A pair of guys that will be able to hit above a 275 pair of guys with 16 plus homers. Then you got Vlager or Jr. Gets his 29th home run of the season yesterday. He's got a 430 on base. He's got to be your number two for the MVP behind Joey Otani at this point. And then you take a look at the Texas Rangers. You got a pair of guys that will be able to go deep quite a bit for this team. Adolius Garcia along Joey Gallo entered into yesterday with 24 homers. Garcia has right around six homers in the team's last 50 or so days, but for Joey Gallo he entered into the break with 11 homers in the team's last 14 days, so he's been able to do a great job there. Now you need a couple guys to be picking up their batting averages. You've got Jonah Heim, Nick Solak, Jose Trevino, Eli White, along with a newer gentleman in Andy Ibanez, hitting a 230 or lower for the team, throwing their back out as, as well, but you've got Isaiah Canera-Falefa. He's hitting about a 260 for the team along Nate Lowe and Nate Lowe, 360 on base. And for the Texas Rangers, bullpen has been very shaky. That's putting it very politely, but they were able to get rid of Brete guys to the Arizona Diamondbacks because he's been absolutely terrible, and instead they've got Dennis Santana out there. They will give you a little bit of something. Brett Martin along Spencer Penn. A pair of guys that have been able to do a solid job out there in the bullpen. Both of these guys have sub-3-5 ERAs. Ian Kennedy has been able to give you some good innings as well, so I do take a look at this spot. Minus 235 would be too steep to be looking at a money line here with the Blue Jays. I want up saying them more around a minus 184, so this is going to be a play on the Rangers in the spot. Also wind up saying the total at 8.8 due to the ballpark dimensions, but both of these guys I think are going to be able to give a solid performance. Going to be taking this total under and looking at the Rangers. 967-968 on the bang board. The Cleveland Indians at the road to face off against the Oakland A's. Frankie Montas is going to be going for the A's. Meanwhile, Cal Quantrill is going to be on the bump for the Indians. Minus 155 is your price on the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, plus 143 is what you're getting the Cleveland Indians 
being said, 8.5 is your total. Over is minus 120, and the under is even. With Montas, it has been a very up-and-down year, to say the least, last year. He was absolutely amazing at home. He was amazingly bad on the road. So far this year, it's been a little bit more consistent, as he has consistently given up runs all over the place, but the team has still been able to win from 8-7 record, despite a 4.41 ERA in Oakland so far this year, a 4.53 ERA. He has given up 8 homers in 59 and 2 thirds innings, and opponents are in 264 off of him. He goes up against a guy in Cal Quantrill that, coming out of the bullpen, has been absolutely amazing as a starter. It has not went as well as he has given up at least three runs in each out of his last four starts. So that has been a little bit rough for him. He has given up four home runs in his last four starts, going four and a third innings or fewer in two of them as well. So that is not necessarily what you want to see from Mr. Cal Quantrill. He's never been a good swing and miss guy. He is averaging right around six and a half strikeouts per nine innings. He is backed up by a bullpen that is very solid. James Karinchuk is someone I think is one of the better relievers out there in the big leagues. Emmanuel Clays wound up entering into yesterday with a buck 72 ERA. Now, I don't know what you're going to be able to get out of DJ. Johnson, but Blake Parker is a guy with a sub-3 ERA. Nick Sandlin has been solid in for the Oakland A's. They actually have a lower team ERA on the road than they do at home, which is a little bit interesting because Oakland plays typically a little bit more pitcher-friendly, especially towards the nighttime, but J.B. Wendelkin is now off the injured list. I think that'll have a good second half of the season. You've got someone in Deolius Carrera who's got an ERA right around at 3-5. Jake Diekman has been able to give you some good innings. Sergio Romo towards the back half of the first half of the season was able to do some good things, and then when you take a look at the Oakland A's, you've got Got a lot of pop in the bat of Mr. Matt Olson, 23 homers and a 280 batting average in the first half of the season. Got a lot of guys are in between about a 235 and a 250. Mark Hanna is currently out of the fold, but he was doing a good job at the leadoff spot prior to going on the injured list. And then you've got Mitch Moreland along with Tony Kemp, Ramon Laureano, Elvis Andrews all in that fold. But for Tony Kemp, north of a 350 on base, you need to get a little bit more power out of Mitch Moreland, in my opinion, just six home runs. But it should be a relatively solid Oakland A's lineup moving forward. And then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians. They have been able to get a little bit more of something recently. As you've got Amid Rosario along with Eddie Rosario, Framil Reyes, Jose Ramirez along with Harold Ramirez, all hitting at least a 255 for this bunch. For Framil Reyes, he's getting a home run once every 12 at bats. He has been absolutely amazing for this team. Jose Ramirez wound up having 19 homers in the first half of the season. Cesar Hernandez is only a 225, but has been able to give the team 15 homers at the leadoff spot. I just think that this is a spot in which you really can't trust in. Cal Quantrill at this point, and with Frankie Montas, he certainly has had his ups and downs as well, but I did wind up setting the Oakland A's as a minus-164 favorite. If I'm able to get a nice, like, plus-120-ish on the Oakland A's on the run line, probably going to be taking a look at that. Also wind up setting this all at 9, so we're going to be looking over along the Oakland A's on the run line in all likelihood. 969-970 was originally Minnesota versus Detroit. That is going to be at the bottom for a double dip since they wound up getting rained out yesterday, so we'll be hitting that in a few minutes. 971-972 on the betting board. You've got an off the board game between the Baltimore Orioles and the Kansas City Royals. To be determined is going to be going for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Brady Singer is going to be on the bump for the Kansas City Royals. I recognize that Brady Singer has not necessarily had the world's greatest year, but if I'm taking the Baltimore Orioles, it's probably because I'm getting like a plus 250 or greater because that's the only way I'd be able to look at them in this spot. With Brady Singer, he's actually done a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Eight home runs given up in 85 and two-thirds innings. Walks have been an issue. Right around 3.8 walks per nine innings, but he's giving you right around nine and a half punch outs per nine innings. He has given up two earned runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts, so he's in good recent form. He's given up three homers in his last five starts, and the walks have been relegated a little bit. Two walks or fewer in three out of his last five starts, so you've got a lot going on there. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. 
their starting rotation in their last, I think it was like 120 innings going into the All-Star break. They wound up having a collective 8 ERA, so it doesn't matter who they're trotting out there. They have been absolutely terrible. Now, if there is a saving grace with the Baltimore Orioles, it is the fact that you've got a couple guys in the lineup that are able to do something at the top. Cedric Mullins, 315 batting average, 16 homers, 16 stolen bases. He has been great for this team. Trey Boomer, Mancini, and Long Thryon, Mount Castle. A combined 30 homers in the first half of the season, both guys hitting a 255. Ramon Odias is hitting a 285, but then you've got the slugs in this lineup. Kelvin Gutierrez, along with Anthony Santana, hitting between a 220 and a 230 throwing their Pedro Severino as well. But then you've got Pavel Lake, Chancisco, Austin wins, DJ Stewart, all guys hitting a 220 or lower throwing their CB Wilkerson as well. And then for the Kansas City Royals you've got Andrew Benatendi, Salvador Perez along with Ansar Alberto and Whit Merrifield all hitting between a 265 and a 275 throwing their Nicky Lopez as well. Carlos Santana, 15 homers. He's got right around a 350 on base. Salvador Perez, 21 homers. Whit Merrifield, 24 stolen bases. That's towards the top of the league lead as well. Hunter Dozier, Ore Soler, pair of guys with a combined 15 homers. Both of these guys hitting below 200. They need to pick it up, and both bullpens really need to pick it up. For the Baltimore Orioles, Cole Solzer by and large has been solved this year, but you could tell that he was waning towards the back half of the month of June and into July. Tanner Scott has been having some control issues recently. Tyler Wells has some good stuff, but John Anderson is pretty much a human white flag. He has been absolutely terrible. And for the Kansas City Royals, Jake Brents and Scott Barlow have been very good out of the bullpen for this team. They were getting a lot out of Josh Shamon at the beginning of the year. He has fallen off a little bit, but Greg Cullen still giving you some good innings. Richard Lovelady is someone that you want to know part of, but this is a spot in which I'm probably going to be taking a look at an over as long as the total is 10.5 or lower. Depends on who the Baltimore Orioles wind up trotting out there, but I am fully expecting a run line play on the Royals unless if something unexpected happens. Check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaron's41, but that's where we're looking right now on that. 973-974 on the main board. The Chicago White Sox are going to be playing Else, Houston Astros. Jake Odorizzi is going to be going for the Strohs. Lucas Gilito is going to be on the bump for the White Sox at Bet Online. We've got the White Sox at minus 108. Astros at minus 102. 8.5 is your total. Over and under are both at minus 110. I set the White Sox as a little bit closer to about a minus 125-ish favorite just because even though Lucas Giolito has had his ups and downs so far this year, I have more faith in him than Jake Odorizzi. Odorizzi has actually not necessarily looked too bad so far this year, especially recently. He has given up a combined three earned runs in his last four starts, so that's actually been very good for him. The strikeout numbers right around eight punch-outs per nine innings, so that has been relatively solid, but I just still think back to the fall that he wound up having during the 2019 season while he was with Minnesota. This is someone that his command has sometimes been an issue in the past as well, so I'm taking a look at that. Meanwhile, for Lucas Giolito, he's been able to do a good job of limiting the walks. Right around three walks per nine innings, nothing great, nothing terrible. Now, the deep ball has hurt him. He's given up right around 1.6 home runs per nine innings, but he has given up three runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts, so he seems to be reining it in with that regard. Two walks or fewer in each out of his last five starts, and he's backed up by the better bullpen. When you take a look at the White Sox, you've got a guy in Ryan Burr who's got right around a 1 ERA. Aaron Bummer just wound up coming off the injured list. That is not a bummer. Michael Kopech, Garrett Crochet, these guys are able to be very good as well, along with Jose Ruiz. And for the Astros, I actually do think that Brian Abreu is going to be able to give you some good innings towards the back half of the season. Christian Javier has oftentimes been used in relief in Jake Odorizzi starts. He's been a good long guy, and you've got Ryan Presley able to give you some good innings, and with the Astros, no question you've got a very good lineup. Even though Alex Bregman has been missing for quite a while, you've still got Michael Brantley, Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, Yoli Gurriel, Carlos Correa, along with Kyle Tucker. All guys hitting at least a 270. Other than Brantley, all guys wound up hitting at least 10 homers in the first half of the season. All these guys, other than Tucker, at least a 350 on base, so that is absolutely amazing. But then you take a look at the White Sox, despite the fact that they're banged up, you still got Tim Anderson, who wound up having the 2019 batting title hitting above a 300 Yohan Moncada as a 4 on base 
Jose Abreu in the first half of the season, 15 homers, had 66 RBI. He is solid. Andrew Vaughn seems to be coming into his own, now hitting a little bit above a 250. And then Adam Engel towards the back half of the season. Little bit of a small sample size, but he's come off the injured list. He's hitting at 285 for the team. So I do take a look at this spot. I do think that Giolito is going to be able to give a better start than Jake Odorizzi. I like this White Sox bullpen a little bit more as well, which is why I wound up saying the White Sox were around about a minus 124, minus 125 favorite. And I think that both of these offenses get going. I wound up saying this all at 9.2, so we're going to be going over along with the Chicago White Sox. 975, 976 on the betting board. You got the Red Sox on the road against the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees have no idea what they're going to be doing for a pitcher. Right now, I'm seeing Garrett Cole at ESPN going up against Anthony Evaldi. I was seeing Jordan Montgomery like 10 minutes before the first pitch of Red Sox versus Yankees. Yesterday, I was seeing Domingo Herman a little bit earlier. Heck, Nestor Cortez, who just wound up testing positive for COVID, might be going in this one. We have no idea what the Yankees are doing. Meanwhile, Nathan Eovaldi is going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. If it is Eovaldi against Cole, obviously, I'm going to be saying the Yankees has a little bit of a favorite. And with Cole, I do think that he's starting to figure it out. I know that the big narrative is that he can't pitch without the sicky stuff, but he's given up two runs or fewer and four out of his last six starts. He wound up having that complete game against the Houston Astros, so he looks solid there. And for Eovaldi, this is someone that has done a great job of being able to live at homers all year long. Five home runs given up in one earned and three and a third innings. Strikeouts per nine, right around eight and a half, so he's done a solid job there. He's given up less than two walks per nine innings. You can tell that Eovaldi was getting a little bit unlucky towards the first half of the season. Wound up getting shelled in his last start of the first half of the season against the Angels giving up five runs, but by and large, he's been able to do a good job of being able to hold down the fork, giving up one run or fewer, and now three out of his last five starts, and the strikeout numbers have been picking up for him as well, and with Boston, this is a team that they're going up against a Yankees team in which they're going to be without a couple bullpen pieces. Nestor Cortez is currently out due to COVID-19. I believe that Jonathan Luizga is someone that we're not going to be seeing in this series as well, which means that Justin Wilson is someone that you're going to be looking to. Brooks Kriske, Chad Green is going to be working overtime in this series. So that's not necessarily what you want now. Zach Britton coming off the injured list is perfect timing for the Yankees because they very, very badly need them. But for the Boston Red Sox, even though I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression when it comes to this bullpen with guys like Josh Taylor, Darwinson Hernandez, and company. Yoda Kazusawa has been terrific. I am a believer in Garrett Woodlock, who as well who had a 1-5 ERA. He's able to give you multiple innings. I like what he's able to bring to the table. Adam Adovino, the former Red Sox, has been solid as well. And when it comes to Boston, they just have a better lineup right now than the Yankees because Aaron Judge wound up being one of the gentlemen that wound up testing positive for COVID-19. You take a look at the lineup that the Yankees wound up trotting out there yesterday. They had two guys hitting above a 240 going into the game. I mean, you've right now got guys like Chris Gittens getting at bats. They wound up having to trot out their guy by the name of Trey M. Gurry, who I don't think I've ever heard of before in my life. That is not good for the Yankees. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Barry Guys, hitting above at 295. Barry Guys, 15 plus homers. Alex Verdugo, 350 on base. Rafael Devers, north of 20 homers. He's hitting at 285 for this team. Hunter Renfro, Christian Vasquez, Christian Arroyo, only between a 260 and a 270 for this bunch. So you've got a good Boston Red Sox team. If it winds up being Cole versus Eovaldi, I will be saying Cole is a favorite, but it's going to be a small favorite. And I do think that if you wind up getting anyone other than Cole, the Red Sox should be a very sizable favorite in my opinion and this is a total on which if it is Cole versus Eovaldi probably going to be looking at an 8 or lower over 8.5 or higher would be taking a look at the under if it winds up being 
insert your random jabroni pitcher here for the Yankees. It's going to be more like nine. So that's where I'm looking right now. Check back in the morning. My Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 says the Yankee situation is still evolving as well. 977, 978 on the bank board. The LA Angels are going to be playing those the Seattle Mariners. Yusei Kikuchi is going to be going for the Mariners. Alex Cobb is going to be on the bump for the Angels. Angels minus 122 favorites plus 112 is what you're finding on the M's. Nine is your total. Under is minus 125. The over is plus 105. When it comes to Yusei Kikuchi, he has been actually significantly better on the road than he has been at home, but I do foresee a lot of regression coming in for the Seattle Mariners, and I see a lot of progression coming in for Alex Cobb as well. Alex Cobb was arguably the most unlucky pitcher in the first half of the season. His fielding independent was a sub-3, even though he had a 423 RA, 6-3 record, has given up just 3 home runs in 66 innings. His walks per 9 is hovering right around at 3-2, and then you take a look at Yusei Kikuchi, right around 3.2 walks per 9 innings. Big thing with him, he's giving up a home run and a half per 9 innings. Yusei Kikuchi has been better on the road, as I mentioned, 260 ADRA on the road, 4-1 record in 9 starts. Has given up, though, 9 home runs in 53 and 2 thirds innings, but opponents are only hitting a 200 off of them for the Mariners. Their bullpen, I feel like, is just waiting to be cracked at this point. Kendall Graveman has been absolutely amazing for this team since coming off the injured list. They weren't able to get a lot out of Will Vest. It looks like he's not going to be available for this game. Your second rider, Paul Sewell. These guys have been relatively solid, but Rafael Montero is someone that I have no respect for whatsoever because he's got an ERA north of 6. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Angels. This is a bullpen that they themselves are not necessarily too terrific. Mike Myers, not great. Steve Ciszek has been able to give you a couple okay innings, but Junior Guerra is right around a 5-ish ERA. Jose Quitana is a guy that they're using out of the bullpen, and Rossi Iglesias has actually been figuring it out a little bit, but I do take a look at this LA Angels lineup, and it is absolutely amazing. We all know about Joey Otani. Entered into yesterday with 70 RBI, 33 homers, hitting at 280. But how about Jared Walsh, a guy that wanted to make the sliding catch in the All Star game? 22 homers, he's hitting at 280 himself. David Fletcher, Phil Gosselin, Max Sassy, all hitting above a 295 for the team as well. Fletcher wanted to hitting right around a 360 prior to the All Star break. They wanted picking up Adam Eaton. They're going to be kicking the tires there. Juan Lagares has not given the team a lot, but Jose Iglesias hitting at 275. And for the Mariners, they got the worst batting average in the league. If you take a look at what they wanted trotting out there yesterday, outside of their front three hitters, everyone in the starting lineup, a 221 batting average or worse. That is not what you want to see. Mitch Anniger has been able to give the team 20 homers. He's been solid. Kyle Seager chipping in their 16 bombs, but other than these two guys, everyone else in the lineup had a single digit amount of homers as well. I just think that this Mariners team, being 48 and 43, with a negative 50 run differential at the break, something has got to give. I think that it's going to start to give right here, right now. I wound up setting Alex Cobb and company as about a minus 140 favorite, so we're going to be taking a look at that. I also wind up setting this all at 8.2. I do recognize that the Angels are very high power, but I do think that Kukuchi winds up giving you a solid start. I think that Alex Cobb does a good job of folding down the Mariners. So taking the under along with LA, 979, 980 on the betting board. you got the Tampa Bay Rays on the road facing off against the Atlanta Braves. Josh Fleming is currently the listed starter for the Tampa Bay Rays. You want to note that the Rays oftentimes use an opener for him, so this might be the spot where you want to bet action if you're looking at the Tampa Bay Rays, and they hit the road to face off against the Atlanta Braves, who wind up trotting out their Max Freed. Minus 120 is what you're finding on the Bravos, plus 110 on the Tampa Bay Rays. 8.5 is your total over and under are both at minus 110 with Fleming. It has been very fascinating to watch him so far this year because he has had very clear ups. He's had very clear downs. 
And as a result, he's got an ERA that is hovering right around a 4-ish so far this year. He is someone that he's not going to give you a whole bunch of strikeouts, but if Andrew Kittrich is able to give him a good inning or two, it will put him in good footing. Kittrich right around a 1-5 ERA. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of Fleming so far this year. 17 walks and 69 innings, so the command has clearly been there. Only 42 strikeouts over the course of 69 innings, so that's not great. On the road, he does have a 5-16 ERA, so he's not necessarily been himself there. Opponents are a 282 off of him on the road. Meanwhile, buck 52 at home. Meanwhile, he's going up against a guy, Max Freed, that has been all over the place himself. With Max Freed, he wound up having a very bad start to begin the year. He winds up coming off the injured list. Looks a little bit better, and then he wound up having a little bit of regression coming into the All-Star break as well. He winds up giving up three-plus runs in his last two starts and combined nine in his last 10 innings, so that was not necessarily too terrific, but you look at Freed for the year, he has been averaging right around three walks per nine innings, he's given up about 1.2 home runs per nine, so he hasn't been great, he hasn't been terrible, he is giving up though more like nine and a half hits per nine innings, and this is a Tampa Bay Rays lineup that they've got a lot of guys that they just do a great job of being able to find a way on base. They don't necessarily have a whole bunch of guys that are going to be able to give you like a 300 plus batting average, but most of these guys in their lineup have a on-base percentage that's right around 100 points higher than their batting average. You take a look at someone like an Austin Meadows, 16 home runs so far this year, 240 batting average, about a 336 on-base. Yandy Diaz, about a 250 batting average, 375 on base. G Man Choi, 250 batting average, 380 on base. Brandon Lau, along Bank Zanino. Both of these guys have 19 plus homers so far this year. Both of these guys are hitting below a 215, but their on base percentages are both north of a 285. So that's what you find with the Rays. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, they have brought in a little bit of a replacement in the outfield and Jack Peterson, not necessarily too bullish on him. He was sitting right around a 230 with a double-digit amount of homers for the Chicago Cubs. Really a boomer bust sort of player. I actually like Guillermo Redia and Yancy Almonte a little bit more than Jack Peterson. I know that might be a little bit of a hot take, but both of these guys have an on-base percentage north of a 340. Both of these guys give you professional at-bats. Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley. All guys have given you at least 14 homers so far this year. All guys hitting at least a 260. And when it comes to Riley, 360 on-base, Freddie Freeman Freeman, right around 385. He's been able to pick it up to Anthony Swanson. has been able to give you a little bit of something, but where the Atlanta Braves are going to be all kicked in this game is a bullpen. Now, I will say, guys like Tyler Madzik, along with a Josh Shomlin, have been much better out of the bullpen recently, but with the Tampa Bay Rays, you've got J.P. Fireisen, who has been able to do a terrific job for the team. Diego Castillo has been amazing. Pete Fairbanks has been a little bit up and down, but you just trot in there guys upon guys that you wind up acquiring through trades with the Tampa Bay Rays and they always seem to deliver. It's absolutely insane what they're able to do. Someone like a Jeffrey Springs has come in. He's had an amazing year for this team in this spot. I did wind up saying the Braves as a minus 118 favorite so I would probably be taking a look at the Braves in this spot but if I'm able to get a good post price on the Rays as numbers start to populate I will be taking a look at that. I need at least a plus 118 to take a look at the Rays and in this spot I wind up saying the total 8.9 so we're certainly going to be taking a look at the over. All depends on where things wind up shaking out with the lines once things get populated a little bit more. And we wrap things up with the double dip. 981, 982, 983, 984. The Minnesota Twins and Detroit Tigers are going to be playing a pair. It looks like the Minnesota Twins are going to be going with the same two pitchers that we were expecting yesterday. Kenta Maeda is going to be going for the Twins in game number two. Charlie Barnes is going to be going in game number one for the Tigers. It was supposed to be one. Jose Ireña going in game one. And then in game two, it was really anyone's guess. I've right now got this as a bullpen game for the Tigers against Kenta Maeda. I think that Yareña is probably going to be going up against Barnes once again. If it does wind up being 
Tigers and Twins with Barnes and Urania going at it. I wind up setting Urania versus Barnes as the Twins being a minus 132 favorite and a 7.8 total. So if you're looking at the numbers that we wound up seeing before they wound up coming off the board yesterday, I would be taking a look at an over because in that Barnes versus Urania game, I was seeing a lot of 7.5s out there and I was seeing the Twins as right around a minus 120, even as high as minus 125 favorites. So we'll be looking at Twins and over there just because with the Minnesota Twins, you have been able to get a lot out of Alex Kurloff along with Trevor Larnish, but every guy's hitting a 265. Nelson Cruz, 18 homers. He's been hitting about a 300. Max Kepler has come back into the fold for this team. You've had a couple guys like Gilberto Cestino not be able to give you a lot, but for the Twins, they're in the top five when it comes to home runs per game. They've been able to do a good job of being able to hit bombs on the road. You take a look at Charlie Barnes. He has right around a four-ish ERA at the minor league level so far this year, but I trust in him more than Jose Reña, who has given up at least four runs in each out of his last five starts. He has been just a wreck. He has given up over his last five starts. A combined nine home runs, so that is not too terrific. His walks per nine is starting to creep up to right around four and a half. His strikeouts per nine is right around six. There's no trusting in him. And then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers bullpen. It has been a little bit better recently. Kyle Funkhauser has brought the funk. He's got a sub for ERA. Gregory Soto wound up making the all-star game, and he wound up giving up a home run. Joe Jimenez is someone that has been giving up quite a bit out of the bullpen as well. And for Kenta Maeda, I might wind up setting him as a little bit more of a favor, depending on how game one winds up going, because I right now got him as a minus 185-ish favorite against whoever winds up starting for the Tigers, if that winds up being Tyler Alexander, what have you. If you wind up trotting out there, Willie Peralta will probably have something in that vein as well, because for Kenta Maeda, he's given up three runs or fewer in now five out of the last six starts. I am seeing Bailey Ober for the Minnesota Twins. If it winds up being over, no question, I'd be setting them down a little bit more. And Willie Peralta probably will be pitching at some point for the Detroit Tigers. And for Peralta, he is someone that has looked relatively solid in his five starts. He has given up one run or fewer in each out of his last four. He wound up getting shelled in his first one against the LA Angels. Ever since then, he's been able to lock in. But I think that that's just a case of a small sample size. And when you take a look at the Detroit Tigers, you've been able to get a lot out of Jonathan Scope. He wound up in the month of June hitting well above a three-hour. He's now been able to give the team right around 16, 17 homers so far this season. You've seen Jameer Candelario have right around 350 on base along with Robbie Grossman. These guys have been able to deliver for you. All of a sudden, Miguel Cabrera has been able to give you a couple halfway decent at-bats as well. You've got Akil Badu, who's got a on-base percentage that's hovering right around a 350 as well, so that's been nice to see Zach Short has been able to give you a couple decent at-bats as well. Only about a 216, but more like a 375 on base, so you got quite a few guys for the Detroit Tigers that have begun to pick it up. If it does wind up being, I'm going to put it as Willie Peralta again against Kenta Maeda. Maeda is going to be that sizable favorite that I was mentioning a little bit earlier. And when it comes to the total in Maeda versus Willie Peralta, I'd be setting that at a 6.5. So a 6 or lower would certainly be taking a look at the over. At a 6.5, it would be all about the juice if you're getting an unjuice over. I'd be probably taking a look at that. If you're getting heavy juice on the over, I'd be taking a look at the under. And then obviously 7 or higher would be taking a look at the under. And then in Barnes versus Jordania, most likely going to be looking at the Minnesota Twins and an over in that spot as well, but obviously we've got a lot of moving parts with that, and I do apologize if we do have a lot of moving parts in general with this MLB betting board, but we just didn't have a lot of numbers when doing this, so did my best, and hopefully you guys did enjoy it, and if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Craig Peterson, wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn, if you have a question 
comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren's one Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there as well. A big thanks to our good buddy, Andrew Cayley of Covers, for joining me in the last segment. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.